0: So we're in the season of Lent, which is the 40-ish days approaching the time of year where we intentionally reflect and remember the staggering truth that the Son of God came and lived among us and was crucified for our sin and then rose again three days later to give us new life with God. And in this season, we're focusing on some of the traditional practices of the church during Lent, and how those practices draw us into giving more and more of ourselves to the Savior who gave everything for us. So today, as you've heard, we're going to talk about the practice of confession, forsaking sin, or what you might call repentance. Now, there's no doubt that culturally, this whole idea does raise some, some eyebrows. You know, isn't such preoccupation with personal sin a bit morbidly introspective or bad for your self-esteem? Uh, I remember attending a church service several years ago that contained a liturgical prayer of confession. It was the type of church service where they used these prayers, you know, each week. Like, most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. Except in this service, the pastor elaborated a bit on, you know, the particular sins that one might have committed in thought or word or deed that week, you know, whether it's lust or greed or pride or anger. So it was quite a robust prayer of confession and rather long. And after the service, I was talking with a friend who had never attended a church service with a prayer like that in it. And so I asked her what she thought about it. And she said, you know, I think the service was nice, but that prayer did seem kind of negative. Like, I know I do bad stuff, but should we really be fixated on our own badness so much? What do you think? She asked. And I responded, it's like, well, yeah, I don't know to tell you if it's negative or not, but I do think it's realistic. I think it's honest, and I think Christianity and the Bible don't whitewash the reality of human sin, that we have not loved God with our whole heart, that we have failed to love others as ourselves and instead have been rather selfish and lived however we want to live. So the Christian faith says those things are real, they're a given. The the real question is just, so what do you do about it? So today, we're going to talk about the practice of confessing and forsaking sin. What does it mean? What does it really mean to confess your sins? Why would you do it? What would be the reasons that you would take up a practice of regularly confessing sin? And then three, just some thoughts on how to go about it. So the meaning of confession, the reasons for confession, and then the process of confession. So first, what does it mean to confess our sins? Let me read the verse that Kelly read. Uh, Once again, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So first, I think the passage gives us even three things about what it means to confess our sins. And the first is just that confession is truly honest. Biblical confession is honest. It's contrasted here in the proverb with concealment. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, contrasted with he who confesses and forsakes them. When you sin, you've only got two options. You can either try to cover it up or you can confess and forsake it. Uh, I have a scar on my left arm, my left elbow, from an attempted dog sledding incident gone wrong. Uh, as a 10-year-old, I decided it would be a great idea to hook up my little brother's tricycle to our large Labrador retriever, Ranger, and have me pull, have him pull me around the neighborhood. And I just kind of sat up on the tricycle with my legs over the handlebars, like one of the aliens in Star Wars in the pod races, if you have any idea what I'm talking about. And it worked fantastically. Uh, Ranger understood the meaning of the word mush, and he took off top speed through the neighborhood. And everything was going swimmingly. I felt like the king of our neighborhood until we hit the big curve, the big bend in our neighborhood road. And I saw it coming. I was like, ah, I didn't think through this. And Ranger did not understand woe or stop or please, for the love of God, stop. Um, so we got to the curve. I took a massive spill. I rolled the trike over uh, scraped up the left side of my body and my arm pretty bad, had gravel embedded in my arm and such. But because I was embarrassed about it, I did not tell my parents, and I hid my wounds. It was the middle of a hot Georgia summer, and I started wearing long sleeves, and I kept it hidden for about a week. The problem is, as a 10-year-old, I did not clean my wound very well at all, and it began to fester. And at some point, my mom saw it or smelled it, and, you know, then the whole, the whole truth came out. And there's lots of ways that we try to wear long sleeve t-shirts in summer and conceal our sin. We just lie about it. We delete our browsing history. We avoid accountability or honesty with other Christians. We blame shift or justify our behavior because of something that someone else said or did. We rationalize and make exceptions for ourselves. And John Stott in his really helpful short book, Confess Your Sins, says all these are superficial excuses. They disguise the real reason why we tend to cover our sins before God, which is that we want to conceal them even from ourselves. We cannot bear the humiliation of seeing and facing ourselves as we really are. We are in love with the fantasy image of ourselves which we have created and refuse to escape from in our dreamland. We cannot endure the injury to our self-esteem which an honest uncovering and confession of our sins would bring to us. So we try to cover our sins from ourselves and God so as to leave our comfortable complacency undisturbed. It is this that is unhealthy, the covering of your sins, not the uncovering of them. So Christian repentance means honest confession, taking a hard look at my specific transgressions and acknowledging the wrongness for what I did without recourse to excuses or shifting the blame. And this is an important first step in what it means to actually repent. Uh, but the second step or the second thing that I think this passage tells us about what it means to confess is actively turning away from sin. Proverbs, again, 28, 13 makes this clear when it says whoever confesses and forsakes his sin. It's not enough to merely apologize or say, okay, I did a bad thing. Repentance means I declare warfare against this and I'm pursuing whatever actions are necessary to leave this sin behind. So we ought not merely admit our sins to God or others, receive forgiveness, go about our merry way, but we also ask for God's help in forsaking our sin, disowning it and creating an inward aversion against it such that we are less likely to return to it in the future. And C.S. Lewis wrote, and uh, just this is really helpful, he says, yeah, this process of repentance is no fun at all. It's something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. And then I think the third thing that this passage teaches us about the meaning of confession or repentance is that it means you have to learn to fear God more than you fear consequences. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. At the end of the day, you will not be able to turn away from your sin until you realize that it is a terrible offense to the God who made you and loves you and sees all. Because if sin is only about the consequences or damage or negative effects that it brings to your life, at some point you'll pretty well be able to convince yourself that no one will know about this. It's not that big of a deal. This won't hurt anyone and so forth. But if you come to see, like David says in Psalm 51 in his great prayer of confession, after he did some pretty terrible things, he says, God, against you, you alone have I sinned. He came to see sin as something utterly grievous to the heart of God. And when you come to see it as that, something that dishonors the one who died for you so that you would never have to be punished, you'll be able to turn away when no one else is looking. You'll be able to confess even when you you never would have been caught. So that's part of what it means to repent. To confess honestly rather than conceal. And to not only be brutally honest in your confession, but to be earnest by taking action against it, forsaking it. And then third, to be grieved by the sin itself, not just the potential negative consequences. And as C.S. Lewis said, this is no fun at all. So why would you want to do that? Why would you want to commit to a regular practice of confessing sin and working to turn away from it? Well, let's go back to Proverbs 28:13. I think it gives at least three reasons why we should practice confession. And the first is that this is just reality for us. Uh, the proverb only gives two categories of people, those who conceal their transgressions and those who confess and forsake them. Notice there's not a third category here of anyone that just doesn't have any transgressions. We all do. The question is, what do you do with it? This should not surprise us. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor who was eventually executed by the Nazis during World War II, he has a classic book about authentic Christian community, and he said this, the pious or self-righteous fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we are sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel that says you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. God has come to save the sinner. Amen. Be glad. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without the sin. You can dare to be a sinner. What's the use of pretending? Pretending. I'm not saying, and I don't think he would be saying, that we should be proud of our sins or wear our naughtiness as some sort of badge of authenticity, but that we should humbly and solemnly and willingly recognize our sin. Because do you know who the grace of God is offered to? Sinners. And then the second reason that we should embrace a practice of confession and repentance is that it it brings joy to us not just reality for us but it's good for us it brings joy to us proverbs 28 13 he who conceals his transgression will not prosper will never be at peace never be truly happy contrasted with 28 14 where it says blessed or some translations even render oh how happy is the one who fears the lord always but whoever hardens his heart instead of confessing will fall into calamity or distress or misery. Uh, if you've seen the new version of the western movie True Grit uh, remake, the old one's good, but the new ones are pretty, pretty good as well. Uh, but what I think is interesting is, so it's the story of um, Maddie Ross, and she goes on a search to find her father's killer. But what I think is interesting is the very beginning of the movie, before it starts, there's just a a short scripture, a proverb that flashes up on the screen. And it says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. The wicked flee when no one pursues. And what the proverb's getting at is that to live with secret or unconfessed sin is to live in quite a miserable fashion, like an outlaw, always on the run, looking over your shoulder, covering your tracks, even when no one is chasing you. To quote Bonhoeffer again, he said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. You see, there's a loneliness. There's a misery that comes with unconfessed sin. Psalm 32 describes what this experience is like. David writes, for when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. For my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer but then i acknowledged my sin to you i did not cover my iniquity i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin you see there's also a particular joy and freedom and blessing that comes from living in the light of confession so james 5:16 says therefore confess your sins to one another pray for one another that you may be healed confession of sin to god even to one another it's a grace given to us by god for our healing for our joy for our well-being And this matters to us as witnesses of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you represent Christ to those around you. It gives us integrity when we speak of the love and forgiveness of Christ, that we're not pretending about our own sin, but we can bring it forward and experience that freedom and forgiveness daily even. Psalm 51 says, Restore to me, O God, the joy of my salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Do you know what it's like to remember what it feels like to be forgiven? Do you remember the joy of what it feels like to be forgiven of a huge thing? That motivates you. It motivates you to share Christ with others. But then uh, third, and perhaps the most wonderful reason to confess and forsake sin is that when we confess, there is mercy for us. Whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain what? Mercy. Yeah, mercy. Is a sour expression on the father's face and a wagging finger in your face? No. Mercy. You see repentance is not the same thing as penance. There is no groveling or bargaining or working off our guilt here for each and every sin we bring to the throne of grace. There is mercy there enough for you. You heard Daniel read part of 1 John chapter 1 earlier. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or the appeasement of wrath, the substitute atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Notice here that John says God is faithful and just to forgive our sin. I've always wondered why he said it like that. I would have expected him to say something slightly different. Like God is faithful and kind to forgive your sins. Or he's faithful and merciful to forgive your sins, which is true. But he says God is faithful and just to forgive us. Why would he say it like that? It's because the price has already been paid and he would dare never ask you to pay it again. It is just and right for God to forgive us when we come to Him because the sacrifice of Jesus was more than enough for your sins and mine. So you can have confidence that when you confess your sins to God, you will find His mercy. Uh, Tim Keller points out in his excellent chapter on confession uh, in his book called Prayer that the way to soften our hearts to God's mercy is to reflect on two things. One, how free it is to us, and yet how costly it was for him. And that we need both of these things to to comprehend the freeness and the costliness of his mercy in order to help us confess and forsake our sin. Here's how this works. If, If you forget how costly God's mercy is, that he bore the eternal weight and wrath and judgment against our sin in Christ, then if you forget that, our prayers of confession will be superficial and shallow with no real desire to leave our sin behind because we don't see just how terrible it is. But if you forget the other side, if you forget how free God's mercy is, that he deeply loved you and freely chose to give himself for you, then you'll remain stuck in guilt, shame, embarrassment, self-hatred. You'll try to keep God on your good side by your dour, penitence and just hope that he has pity on you miserable wretch you know and that tact may curb your sinful behaviors for a time but will ultimately cultivate bitterness against God himself and this is why meditating on the love of God displayed on the cross is the wonderful antidote to either superficial or scrupulous confession when you see the extent that Jesus had to go to save you and the extent that he was willing to go to save you, it makes your sin more bitter, but your approach to God more confident and sweet. So let's talk for just a moment practically about the confession of sin then. Like when do I do that? How often? And who? Who do I talk to? How do I confess and forsake my sin? What's the process? Uh, There's three invitations that I I would offer to you. The first is to confess daily to God. Confess daily to God. Uh, Most of our confessions, you know, tend to be after the big ones. You know, after I've really screwed up in word or deed or in temper. And, you know, that's okay, right? I mean, like, if you're mindful or confronted with sinful and selfish attitudes and behaviors, you should confess them to God. But I'd also like to suggest that you should make time daily at the end of your day, to briefly review your day, give thanks to God for all that was good, and then confess any known sin to him, ask for him to show you where you've fallen short, and receive his mercy. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, but I'd be up all night, you know. I guess you better get started early, you know. Or um, if you do it every day, you'll have shorter accounts to keep, kind of like the sourdough starter that Kelly was talking about. But the main idea, is giving God time to search you and know you and point out any offensive ways in you. And honestly, this is one change that I'm trying to make and implement during Lent, taking five minutes at the end of my day before I go to sleep to review it, to give thanks for it, to confess my sins, and to receive God's mercy. Maybe this is a practice that you could join me in as well. And as you build the habit during Lent, it'll continue so daily to God. But then you might wonder, okay, when should I confess only to God and when should I confess or apologize to another person? So the second invitation would be this, confess directly to those you've sinned against in word or deed. If your temper overflowed, if you cheated or took something from someone, if you lied to them, spoke harshly to them, took advantage of them in some way, broke their trust, then you should confess that and forsake it so that you can receive their forgiveness and be reconciled. Now, I realize there's, there's wisdom and there's balance here. You know, it's one thing to confess that you were rude to someone or that you've harbored anger against them for some time, but it might be overzealous or extremely awkward, at least, to tell someone in your small group that you covet have coveted their house or their spouse, right? But if there are persistent patterns of thought, emotions, or addictive secret habits, it is good to find someone who is safe, that can hear, and can help. Uh, I'll post some more resources for us this week that address in more detail the question of just how specific should I be in confessing sin to someone who I've sinned against? So be on the lookout for that. But then this kind of leads into our third invitation. So yeah, one, directly to God. Two, directly to those we've sinned against in word or deed. But third, confess regularly with gospel siblings. One to another. Even if it's not someone that you've particularly sinned against. For example, what should you do if your sin didn't seem to directly affect or offend someone else? Do I just go to God? Do I go to a Christian friend? Uh, What do I do? Now, if we were to confess all of our sins to each other all the time, that would be like uh, your family group text, which is constantly blowing up, right? But here's maybe some good rules of thumb to keep in mind, uh, considering when to go to a Christian brother or sister versus private confession to God. Uh, If this particular sin is recurrent or addictive or entangling in some way, it would likely be best to share with someone. If your sins have compromised your integrity in a relationship like a marriage or in your school or in your workplace, it would likely be best to share with someone. If your sins have involved breaking the law, it would likely be best to share with someone. If you've confessed your sins to God, maybe even multiple times, but cannot seem to move past the shame and the guilt, it would likely be best to talk with someone. And for many, confessing sin to gospel siblings is often the first step to freedom from them. Because confession, honest confession in front of a brother or sister in Christ, cuts at the roots of our sin, namely our pride. And what I mean is this, confession is terrible humiliation. I mean, it hurts your pride to honestly admit your weaknesses and selfishness in all of its twisted glory. To quote Bonhoeffer one last time, he says, In the confession of concrete sins, the old man, the, this fallen nature, dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. So, Swallowing your pride is a critical first step in forsaking your sin. And it does kind of raise the question, if there's a sin that you hold on to, that you're not willing to bring to light, are you really ready to forsake it? But confession with others can also grant you greater assurance of forgiveness. Uh, I remember not too long after moving up here, my wife and I joined North Wake. Uh, we then joined a small group. And about a year after being in that small group and building relationships there, I felt that there was something that I needed to confess to the guys in my group that I kind of thought was a big deal. Let's hope that's not a shocker to you. I sin, right? Uh, don't put your leaders to, on a pedestal because we all are works in progress. But I wanted to confess to the guys in my group because it could have potentially affected my relationship with them. And I'll never forget, after I explained the situation and apologized to the guys for what happened, there was not three seconds before one of the guys in the group spoke up and said, I think I speak for all of us. We forgive you. And in that moment, it was like I had received the forgiveness of God fresh again. His kindness was expressed to me through the words of a brother. Confession with gospel siblings is a gift to you. It's not meant to be this thing that we have to twist your arm into being honest. It's a gift to you so that you might find afresh the forgiveness and grace of God. Do you have people in your life like this that you can go to, that you can be honest with? If you don't, They are worth searching out. Now, I keep using this phrase, uh, gospel siblings, because to enter into the practice of real confession with another Christian means that you both have to be grounded in the message of the cross, that you are both sinners in need of great grace, such that you cannot feel superior in hearing the confession of a brother or sister, no matter how deep the sin. You know that you are capable of that, and worse, And so confession, hearing someone's confession, must be something that's always done under the shadow of the cross. So where does all this leave us today? Where does all this leave you today? We're going to enter into a time of just this, reflection and prayers of confession. Uh, Perhaps there are things on your mind that even as I've spoken today, you're painfully aware of them, that you do need to confess them to God and maybe to someone else. And my encouragement to you would be, do not harden your heart. There is mercy for you with God, with your Christian brothers and sisters. Or today, perhaps you're just so busy that you need to spend time reflecting and inviting God to search your life and point out ways that you have strayed from him. Perhaps you're mindful of something that you know you need to confess to a friend to your spouse, to your children. Or maybe you need to evaluate today if you even have someone in your life that you could be transparent with. And if not, where could you start to build those relationships? Maybe there's a situation that you do not even know what to do with or where to start. Maybe this is the week to take the plunge and say, you know what? I'm gonna talk with someone. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's a friend today. Maybe it's one of our pastors uh, towards the end of our service or really anytime from here on out. We're here to speak with you. Or maybe just maybe for the first time today, you're seeing the importance of being real with yourself and real with God. And you see your need for mercy. And let me just offer that to you. It's yours for the asking. It's yours for the taking. And God is ready to meet you right where you are today. So after a time of reflection and personal confession, um, all who follow Christ will take the Lord's Supper. But let's take this time now to, to reflect, to confess, to bring our sins to the God who has mercy for us. Let's pray.